Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, if you want to slip your hand up, we have some folks that would be glad to put a Bible in your hands today. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd encourage you to take that one home with you. Uh, We love giving away copies of God's Word. But we're excited today to be in the uh, study that we're in and looking through this semester through the New Testament of uh, stories, uh, parables, miracles, and the gospel. And uh, we're not only talking about this on Sunday mornings, but we're doing that throughout the week, uh, taking it to the next level in, in our small group Bible studies. And I'd encourage you, if you're not already in a small group, to check on uh, engaging in that. We have some information about that in the foyer following the service today. And so I'd encourage you to be a part of that. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is going to call his disciples. And I I love this passage because it is an encouragement to me. Because I'm not famous. Probably you're not famous. Uh, If we can speak honestly, we're kind of nobodies, right? I mean, nobody's calling me and saying, Doug, would you give me your opinion on the, the place that the world is and what you think are the solutions? Nobody's calling and saying, Doug, could you... Could you uh, uh, travel to this place and, and, and come and let the world hear of your great opinion or of your great talents? I don't sing on this stage because I can't sing. <laughs> but it, 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 so I, I, I am in, in many ways not known to many people, rarely, barely even known in this city, <laughs> Okay. So when I read as Jesus pulls together his disciples, I'm encouraged in how he does this. Now, Jesus has, from from this place, gotten here, several things have happened. He's been baptized, which was a proclamation that he was following God. In a few few weeks, you can see in your handout this morning, we're going to be baptizing uh, October 13th. If you have given your heart to Christ, yet never done that, uh, said that publicly through baptism, I want to encourage you to, to take that step. Jesus did that. He is our example. Some people ask us why we don't baptize as infants and why we don't sprinkle. Uh, it's because Jesus did neither of those. He was baptized by immersion, and that did not save him. That was his proclamation to the world, that he is following his heavenly Father's command. And, and of course, at that, at that baptism, some pretty cool things happened. The heavenly Father spoke and showed how he was so proud of his son. In Luke chapter 4, we see how Jesus is fasting 40 days and he is tempted by Satan, which is really a joke. Anyway, Satan says, hey, let me make you powerful in this world. He says that to the son of God who was there at creation, sat at the right hand of the father and knew exactly what power was. And so for Satan to say, hey, let me, let me make you important. Jesus kind of goes, whatever. Uh, I've already been there, done that. I was here at creation. I was there when power was created. You cannot tempt me because I am connected to my heavenly father. And then Jesus begins his ministry, and as we look through other accounts of the gospel, we begin to hear that Jesus is not only preaching, 
He's preaching the same message. How would you like to come to church every Sunday and not hear any different? Jesus is preaching the same message over and over. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I at least try to engage you with a little bit different message. Maybe I should go back to Jesus and I'll just preach the same thing every Sunday. Yeah, the crowds would come, right? Jesus was preaching the same message over and over. The Messiah that you have been waiting for is here. Now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and follow Christ. And he's also healing people. It's amazing to watch as Jesus begins to walk through the crowds and he heals people. He speaks into their lives. He sees through the outward appearance into the heart. And so there is a crowd that is gathered in Luke chapter 5 who wants to either see the show, they want to see Jesus heal somebody, they want to see him do great things, they may be coming for healing, and they're also wanting to hear the good news that Jesus speaks. Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 tells of this situation, verse 1, on one occasion well, the crowd was pressing in on him. I mean, there's so many people that they, they, they want to get closer. They, they, wanna, they didn't have, you know, mega speakers and can proclaim. They could only hear the voice of Jesus through the spoken word. And so they're pressing in because they're hungry to hear the word of Jesus. And he was standing up by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. It's very interesting which boat Jesus gets into. You know, there's no accidents in Jesus' dealings, the things that he does. And he gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats, boats so that they began to sink. It's very interesting that Jesus shows up in this way and he, he's being pressed to preach the good news and they want to hear him. He, he comes up to these guys and he says, let's, can you put your boat out so that I can teach? And they allow him, I, I think more out of whatever you want to do, <laughs> take the boat, get away. The crowd's here. We're trying to work. Jesus preaches and then he, he challenges them. He wants to not only preach the good news, but he wants to prove who he is. And so he says to these guys, these fishermen, he said, hey, let's go fishing. Put out into the deep. And you got to understand, these weren't like recreational fishermen. These were professional fishermen. And it's, it's interesting what they say. Number one, they call him what? Master. Master, do you realize we've been fishing all night and we've not caught anything? Now, I don't know if you've ever been fishing and not caught anything. Anybody ever done that? That's the story of my fishing career, okay? 
I am not a fisherman. If I ever have to catch my fish to eat, I will be about a third of the man because I will starve to death, okay? I've never gained that skill. I've heard people, you know, just fish and they can't get them fast enough into the boat. That's never happened to me. The opposite. You know, I have all the gear. I've been out to do it. Never caught. It's very discouraging. And so these guys are discouraged. Not only did they not catch anything, because when you're catching fish, it's fun. It's exciting. Okay? But when that catching is tied to your paycheck, it's even more discouraging. And these guys go, Jesus, we've been out all night. We've tried all the tricks. We've done everything. And that's why they call it fishing, not catching, okay? These were guys who knew what to do. And Jesus said, okay, okay, but if you'll just put out uh, into the deep, you're going to see something amazing. And so, okay, I mean, he is Jesus. We're going to find out why they are trusting him later. But they put out and they're kind of, you, you know they're talking under their breath. We've already been out here. We already put out in this place. There was nothing there. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our energy. Jesus would just leave us alone. We could go home. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. But they put out into the deep. And Jesus said, throw the net over there. What happens? Not only did they catch fish, but they caught more fish than could fit in their boat. They called their buddies from the, from the shoreline, bring your boat out here. And it says the, the fishing, the, there, there was so much fish that it almost sank both of the ships. Okay? Now, that sounds like a fisherman's tale if I've ever heard one, right? We, it almost, we had so much fish, it almost sank the ships. Yeah, right. I caught a fish, and it was this big, you know? It's this big, and, you know, it grows. But this is for real. This is, this is the true fisherman's tale. Why? Because it is a tale of the miracle and the power of God. It, it, is, it is a truthful experience. And these guys who were pros, who had seen probably thousands of fish come into their boat, now are overwhelmed in the moment and understanding we're in the presence of greatness. We're in the presence of the Messiah. You see, these guys weren't dumb, okay? They may have been fishermen. We'll talk a little bit about their education in a moment. But they had been taught since, since they were very little that there was a Messiah coming, that there was one who would come who would not only save the nation, but save the world. And now Jesus is, is in their presence. He's in their boat. He has performed a miracle, and they recognize that. Look at verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. <laughs> they realized they were in the presence of the Messiah. They had called him master. They recognized that there was something different about Jesus. But now Jesus has performed a miracle in their presence. And they realized, I cannot be here. I am not good enough. I, I am not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. They recognize the authority and power of Christ and they cry out, we are not worthy. And then Jesus speaks with authority. Look at the second half of verse 10. 
It says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Matthew's account of this says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus speaks into their lives. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am. And I'm going to not only change the moment, but I'm going to change your life. He says, do not be afraid. Verse 10, he says, things are going to change from here. Your life will never be the same. You know what I love about salvation? Is your story. Because your story may not be like mine. Your story may be a story of redemption, but the great thing about your story is it's your experience of what Christ has done in your heart. And nobody can take that away from you. What's so exciting is that I can tell you what Christ has done in my life and what I have experienced and how it is real to me. I know many ways to share the gospel, but the best way that I know is telling what God has done for me. Because that's real. These guys, they're experiencing Christ and he says, don't be afraid because if you follow me, things are going to change from here. Jesus did what was unexpected. This is what I love, okay? Nobody's seeking me out. Maybe nobody's seeking you out to be an important worldly figure. And if we were to predict what Jesus was going to do in that day when when he would pull together the team of people that were literally going to be the team that would make a difference, not only in that day, but would literally change the face of Christianity. Who would you think he would choose? I mean, if we were to guess, we would think he would go right down to the seminary, that he would go right down to the local church, the most important place in the region, and he would say, give me your best. Give me your prominent leaders. Give me those people of influence who, who, who are already making a difference in society, and let me bring them in to be my team. The smartest, the brightest, the, the most successful, that's where I want to build my team from. That's what we would probably think that Jesus would do. But what I love about God is that God does the unexpected. You see, they expected Jesus to be the Messiah. They they expected him to be this great warrior. They expected him to be a military leader that would come in and he would be born in a prominent family and that he would do amazing, incredible, uh, on-the-edge things. And instead, Jesus was born in a barn to a virgin, had a stepdad who was a carpenter, not expected. So therefore, why would Jesus change the pattern of what he's done in the past and now he does it again? He goes down to the docks and says, you know what, I'm going to choose some folks. These guys are loyal. I'm going to take what is unexpected and I'm going to do a supernatural work in them. These men were not unlearned. They were not stupid. They had been through a portion of school in that day and time. Uh, Every every kid went to school. They began to learn the the word of God. In fact, they memorized it. And those who showed uh, promise and and who they thought would be the leaders of society were actually given the opportunity to go farther. And those who didn't seem to have that opportunity were sent back home to take upon the trade of their family. So these fishermen were not stupid They were not unlearned. They understood exactly who Jesus was. They probably had more scripture memorized than you and I do. 
but they had not given that op- been given that opportunity to go to the next level. But it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't go choose those people who had the next level learning. He went to those who were standing at a fishing boat. They were rough characters by nature. I, I love the, the disciples that Jesus picked, tax collectors. He, he was accused of hanging out with the wrong people. Jesus got this motley crew together. I, I believe they probably would have had tattoos and earrings. And, and you know the, the people that nobody would have thought the Messiah of Christ would have, have hung out with, now Jesus is saying, this is my posse. This is my boys. I, we're we're going to go take over the world for the glory of God. I don't know what that says to you, but for me, it gives me great encouragement because I've never been the valedictorian of my class. I've never been sought out as the great mind of our world. I am barely normal. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean that to be a joke. Uh, <laughs> yet when I look at the disciples of Christ, that's exactly who Jesus He took someone who was normal and he made them incredible. He did something that was unexpected. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Look at what happens in verse 11. It says, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Matthew's account says that immediately they followed Jesus. I love this because there is an act of complete obedience, of total abandonment of, of what society thought they should do and what they should be. And they began to do what was unexpected. Why would they do that? Why, why would these fishermen who, had, who up to this point, we don't see any, any interaction with Jesus Why would they follow Jesus? I believe three reasons. Number one, Jesus had a purpose. I believe that they were being led by God and they were following Jesus because he had a purpose. He was the redeemer. He was the savior. He was the master of all the universe and they recognized his great purpose and his great place in the world because more than anything else, when Jesus calls you, you are compelled to answer. They they understood his great purpose in the world was not just to be normal, not to be like everybody else, but to be supernaturally amazing, incredible, powerful. Jesus had a purpose, and he had a pinpoint accuracy that he was headed in the right place to do the right things for the glory of his Father. He also had a message I told you Jesus preached the same sermon over and over and over again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they saw that and they understood that the religious noise of the day was if if you were good enough, if you follow enough rules, if you do all the right things, then you might have favor with God. And, And Jesus is saying, listen, grace is available to all who would come and bow their knee at the Father. To, to the Father, that, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the Messiah that you have been waiting on now is here. Repent and follow Jesus. The gospel, the good news has come. Jesus said, I am the Savior of the world. I am the Redeemer that has been predicted in the Old Testament. And so Jesus had a message that they believed in. And he had a power that 
They had not seen. At, at his baptism, Jesus showed off, God showed off, this is my son in whom I, whom I am well pleased. He, he, he celebrated that fact. There, there was a healing that, that Jesus was doing all over the place. People couldn't, there couldn't be enough room around him. They, they were filling up houses. They were filling up the streets. They were pressing in him so much that as he preached in this story, he had to get in the boat to get away from them just so he could speak to them. They wanted to see the healings that Jesus was doing. They wanted to hear the message that he was preaching. And then there was a confidence that Jesus had that they had never seen before. He claimed to be the Son of God, and then he proved it through his actions. Jesus had a direction. His power proved that that direction was headed in the right place. We have many leaders in our world who have, who have lived and died and who are alive today who are saying, follow me. But there was a difference in following Jesus because he had that purpose and that message and that power that they knew when they began to follow Jesus that they were headed in the right direction because actually, listen to me, that's what they were created for and that's what you and I are created for. Listen, as your pastor Please don't follow me. I am a broken man. I, I, am, I, I struggle with sin. I, I make mistakes. I say the wrong things. I, I do the wrong things. I do my best to follow Jesus, but I am not perfect. My encouragement is for you not to follow me, but together let's follow Jesus. Let's be about seeking the kingdom of God and the glory of God together. My hope is that you see things in my life that you might want to replicate and mimic, but listen, I will fail you. Jesus will never fail you. These men saw in Jesus Christ someone that they knew that they could trust, that he was perfect and that he would never let them down. Jesus says in, in verse 10, he says, listen, from now on you will be catching men. In that phrase, there is the idea that God is going to create in them something new. Listen to what John chapter 1 says about Jesus. Because there is a question of his authority. There is a question of his ability to create something new in us. Listen to this. Here's where his authority comes from. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was there at creation. He is the creator of all things. There is a promise that as he spoke to these men, these fishermen, these common men, that he was going to do something incredible in their lives, that he was going to change them to be something that they could never become on their own. There was a hope. Can you imagine living in a life without hope? And Jesus was giving them hope. There was a promise of real life change. He began to proclaim the good news, the gospel. And he began to, they began to see that they could change like never before. My, my prayer for you is that if you've not experienced the gospel, that you will understand that when the gospel engulfs your life, when you experience it, that you recognize that there is a change that will happen in my heart that I could never manufacture on my own. It's not surface changes, but deep down 
heart and soul changes. I don't know about you, but I don't want surface healing. I don't want you to look at me and say, Doug looks like he's okay. I want you to say, Doug's okay because his heart's been changed. God's changed him from the inside out, deep within my soul, deep within the marrow of my bones. That's what Jesus promised these guys. He looked him in the eye and he said, come follow me and I'll change your life. Here's the great thing. He's not just saying it to fishermen 2,000 years ago. He's saying it today to you. God was going to change them because God is in the business. Listen, God is in the business of doing something supernatural with those who are unexpected to be used. God is in the business of taking what is not enough and making it more than enough. I can't tell you how many times that I have sat down from preaching and go, I don't know where all that came from. And some of you go, yeah, I don't know where it came from either. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, I, I mean in a good way that I have sat down and I have watched the power of God at work in people's lives and go, that's not in my notes. I didn't manufacture that from my own mind and from my own soul. So God created that moment. He, he spoke through me. I've had the privilege and the pleasure of being used by God. And God do something incredibly powerful through actions. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I said, God, use me. That's something you can do. You could say, God, use me in my world. Use me in my work environment, in my home, in my friendships, in my relationships. And then as you stand back and go, what a holy God. He's allowed me the privilege of being a tool in his hand today. When I think about this passage, when I think about this motley crew of disciples that Jesus is gathering up, my mind always goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 as Israel is in need of a king. And Jesus, uh, God says, I'm going to give the opportunity, Samuel, my prophet, you, you get the opportunity to go and pick the king. And so go to Jesse's house and he's got a lot of boys. That one of those boys is the king. And so he says to, he says, Samuel says to Jesse and in 1 Samuel 16, hey, I, w- I want to meet all your boys because one of them is the new king of Israel. And so Jesse lines up some of his guys, and, and of course they thought firstborn son in that society, that would be the guy. He's a strapping, good-looking young man, smart. And Samuel goes, not him. Next. And the next one's, um, not him. Next. And he goes down the line over and over again, and he's getting to the end. He's going, God, um, are you sure? Did I get the wrong address? Am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I, do I need to go back and pray? Do I need to research uh, uh, who, who is better? Listen to what the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I love this. Man, if you underline stuff in your Bible and you're normal like me, Listen to this. Do not, this is what God's directive to Samuel is. Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Let that settle in for a minute. Let that sink into who you look at at yourself and see. 
Because there are many days that I look in the mirror and I think, how could God ever use me? Because I know where my cracks are. I know where my failures are. I know what the, the, the history of Doug Hickson has been. And I think, how could God ever use that? How could God ever use this broken? Because you, you may see something on the outside, but I see all the scars and, and the pain and, and the failures. And then I, I hear God saying, I want to use you. And I look in the mirror and I think, but God, of my outward appearance, I, I know who I am. And God screams from heaven. He shouts. He declares, I'm not looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at your heart. Praise the Lord that he sees what we can become. I see a lump of coal. God sees the diamond that he is creating me and you to be. And so he, he said, Samuel says to Jesse, is, is that all you got? Well, there's one more, David. And you hear all the brothers snicker. David, there's a reason he's out with the sheep scrawny, worthless. We pick on him. He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the brunt of all of our jokes. Samuel says to the father, I will not sit until David is in my presence. And as they bring in the kid out on the hillside who is watching the sheep, when he walks in, Samuel says, this is your new king. I've not looked at his outward appearance. God knows his heart. Church, if God could look at you this morning and speak verbally to you, I believe he would say, you're worried about what everybody else sees, but I know what's going on in here. What he wants from us is our heart. What he wants from us is, is what we can be with the power of God at work in us. Because when God comes into the picture, everything changes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God recreates you to be what he needs you to be. For his glory and for his honor. You see, God was going to take this group of fishermen who needed a shower and a good night's sleep, and he was going to turn what is ordinary into extraordinary. He was going to turn what was, was normal into a supernaturally amazing group of guys who were going to change the world. What was different? Why did God not send Jesus down to get the smartest and the brightest and those who had the greatest most incredible minds and, and power and influence. It's, this, this is what I believe. That in that day and time, not unlike church of today, there is a spiritual arrogance that reeked of we deserve God to choose us. That we know all these things. And let me just tell you something. I think church is important. I think being a part of a local body of Christ is important. I, I think that you being a part of the family of God at work in Spearfish is important. I think that you uh, memorizing God's word is important. I believe that you ought to hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. I believe in that. But if there is a spiritual arrogance that says, I deserve God to choose me, you need to be reminded 
that you have been saved by grace through faith because Jesus loves you and it's not because of you. And I believe that Jesus didn't go to First Baptist Jerusalem downtown and pick a crew because they thought they deserved that. So he went to the docks and he went and he got a tax collector that nobody wanted to hang out with. And he went and he got a lawyer and he got, he got, he got some people around him that he knew would be faithful because their hearts were right. What they had was a spiritual knowledge and insight that was accompanied by a gracious humility of understanding who they were in the kingdom of God. These men would become great leaders because they understood that Jesus was Lord and they were not. And they were willing to follow Him without abandon. They left everything, verse 11 tells us, and they followed Jesus. I know some of you because I'm like you. You'd be freaking out if we said, hey, today we're going to leave everything and we're going to follow Jesus. Who's going to make my house payment? What, what, what am I supposed to do? My kids got to be at school tomorrow at 8 a.m. Uh, what, what, what are we going to do? Who, who's going to do this and who's going to do that? Listen, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying to you, abandon your life and your responsibilities and follow Jesus. I'm saying when Jesus calls you, you need to be obedient. Sometimes he's going to ask you to do some things that are not comfortable. And you're going to go, well, I need a plan. I need a chart. I know what some of you are thinking. You need like an Excel spreadsheet that's got 14 pages on it. Okay, some of you are going, I don't want to even see that. But we're all freaking out on the inside just a little bit because these men left everything and they followed Jesus. Listen, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And if he tells you to go, don't worry about the details. He'll work all that out. He is God of all creation. He can work out whatever he wants to. We become more worried about our earthly situation and responsibilities than about our spiritual responsibility to proclaim his, him as king and to follow his command. You see, what we have fostered in evangelical Christianity in America is a convenient Christianity, a convenience-based Christianity of which we love Jesus when it's convenient and we love ourselves and serve the world when we want to. I want you to know that not only is that dangerous, but it's no way in any way biblical. It's, it's not what God intended at all. God didn't say, hey, I want part of your heart. I'd like every third Tuesday when it's when it fits into your schedule. I'd like for you to read your Bible when, when you, you have enough time left over to do that. I want you to serve me when everything else is done. That's not what the Bible says at all. You either give God your all or, you don't, or he, he, he gets upset. He, 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 gets, he gets frustrated. The Bible says that what we're talking about is being lukewarm, that we're neither hot nor we're cold. And that being lukewarm, we're, we're just got enough, just enough of Jesus to <laughs> make him frustrated. The Bible says it makes him want to throw up. That's the language that's used. It's like getting something sour in your mouth and you just your body rejects it. Jesus doesn't want part of you, he wants all of you. These men who are called by Jesus, they abandon everything. 
God didn't go and choose those who had the most scripture memorized. He, he did, or those who had the best church attendance, all those, those things are important. He chose those who were willing to follow him without abandon. You know what's amazing? Nothing has changed. Jesus still seeks those who would give him, give him their whole heart. Church is good. Scripture memory is, is awesome. But God wants that to be accompanied with a heart and a passion to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of a church that says we're, we're not in this halfway. It's all or nothing for Jesus. I decided about five years ago through a personal place in my life where I was not going to come to the end of my days, whether I lived another five months or five years or 50 years, that I was not going to come to the end and say, man, I did most of what I was supposed to do for Jesus. I just don't want to be a part of that anymore. I don't want to be a part of a church that says, man, we're giving 60% to Christ. Woo-hoo. I don't want to be normal. What I want to be a part of is a group of believers that say, listen, we haven't got it all figured out. We are not perfect and we are, we are not there yet, but we are working as hard as we can to be more like Jesus. And then when Jesus steps on to the shore and he says, follow me, obey me, live for me, be willing to sacrifice for me, be willing to give something up for me, be obedient to what I'm asking you to do that we don't say, well, Jesus, when we have a plan, we'll, we'll do that. When we understand where we fit into all of that and where we're comfortable with it, then we'll do that. You see, convenient Christianity is putting God in a box that we're comfortable with. Real Christianity is understanding there is no box and that God calls us to step out of our comfort zone and to do things on a regular basis that are going to make us a little bit uncomfortable but when God's involved, the supernatural power of our Heavenly Father fills in the gap, and we know that we're in the right place. Do you, do you not think these guys were scared? Do you not think that they were nervous? Do you not think that they wanted to know what was coming up next? Sure they did. But they were faithful. And they believed that Jesus was able to do whatever He desired, and they were willing to follow Him. So my question to you today is this. Are you just going to be normal? Or are you just going to be like what everybody else seems to be doing and be a bumper sticker Christian that everybody thinks that you're cool and on the outside everything's okay and you know that you have a divided heart on the inside that's not given fully over to Christ? I'm not there yet, but I want you to know I'm striving to be a follower of Jesus striving to follow him in whatever he calls me to do. And my challenge to you today is this. Let's do that together. The strength of a church family is that we walk with each other. We encourage those who are downtrodden, those who are in the valley, and we walk together, and we walk in the same direction of trying to follow Christ because what I want to be known of Connection Church and Spearfish is not that we're religious, 
Not that we are doing some good things, but that Jesus shines out through what we do and how we live and how we serve. And that we are seen as people who are following Christ without abandon. We're taking some risks, that we're living on the edge, and that Jesus lives through us and his name is proclaimed and lifted high and the glory of God is our goal. Building his kingdom is our aim. Church, would you let God's work happen in your life and together we can do it for the glory of our King.